series that we've been, we've been in, this Love One Another series, it's been a challenging one, hasn't it? God says, love one another. And we wish he would just stop right there. Just, just stop right there. Just love one another and then let us decide what that looks like. Right Where I get to decide how I'm going to love you, and I get to decide how I'm going to love you. And those two loves may look very different based on how we get along and what it looks like. We wish it was going to be like that. But then he keeps going on, and there's so many different love one another's like this and treat one another like this that there's something in there for everyone, isn't there? When you thought you got off on one week and you're like, I don't really have an issue with that. The next week, it was just a gut punch, wasn't it, where you're just like, oh... That's the one that Holy Spirit wants to work on me. And I pray that throughout this series, God's been speaking to you on what it looks like for you to love one another. For you in this room, when you look around, the people in this room, for you to be able to look in each other's eyes and authentically say, I have the love of Christ for you. No matter what's going on between us, I can honestly say that when I look at you and I see you, I see a child of God. I see someone trying to follow Jesus and I love you, because that's our goal. And it's something that, as we talk about being very specific in how we talk about these love one another, it's something that the Apostle Paul would do when he wrote his letters to churches. You'd have this great theological idea he would, he would lay down and say, listen, this is where I'm getting this, okay? Here's what you know, you need to know and need to believe. I want you to grasp this idea. And then he'd also have, because of that, this is how you should actually be living. This is what you should actually be doing. The issues that you're having amongst you, this speaks directly to them. And he would go through all these letters written to churches, not unlike ourselves, where he'd say, listen, to the church of Cornwall, this is what I got to say. Here's what we know about God. Here is how it should impact how you are living, how you're treating each other. I've heard about how you're treating each other, how you're living out the faith. And I've got some corrective points and some challenging points and some, some praise for you and encouragement for you. That's how he wrote all of his letters to the different churches. He had mixed together that teaching, doctrine, theology, and then specific application. It would speak to their cultural issues. It would speak to issues of growth and, and discipline that was needed within the community. And today, the passage that we're looking at, the, the part that we've narrowed in on is a very short portion of it. It's found in Ephesians 4, 2. Bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. Now, if you look at just that little portion, you'd be like, there's so many questions. So many, what is going on where he has to say, listen, 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 guys, listen, listen, listen. You probably have to like tell, tell him to be quiet. Bear with one another in love. Lots of questions. What's going on? Why did they have to hear that message? Why did they have to bear with one another? What did it mean for them to have to bear with one another? When we think of the term bearing and we find people, quote unquote, unbearable, and yet Christ, through the Apostle Paul, is saying, bear with one another in love. What does it look like? And as we, again, look into uh, the writings of Paul into, into the group. He's writing to a church in Ephesus. And so part of our understanding is gained by understanding who are the Ephesians. Why is Paul writing to them? It's good to know these things in order for us then to take application because God was first saying it to them. That's his target audience that when, he, when Paul's writing. He's writing to the Ephesians. And then we got to listen and say, God, what are you saying to them? 
And then how does that impact me in my situation? I'm not in Ephesians. Uh, I'm not in Ephesus. Uh, if anybody knows where Ephesus ne- is now, does anybody know where Ephesus is? A couple of people, maybe Turkey, Turkey-ish. Yeah, All right? None of us live in Turkey, right? And so we, we're, we're not dealing with the, the same issues exactly, but we can definitely uh, extrapolate what God has through his Holy Spirit for us today. Ephesus was a large and proud city. It was big. It was low. It was located strategically where land and water would come together for trading routes and everything like that. It was often called the light of Asia or the marketplace of Asia. And it was a great metropolis area. When Paul would have visited Asia or visited the area and started to church there, and he spent about two to three years in total in Ephesus, the population would have been around 200,000 people. That's big. That's a lot of Cornwalls, right, to make up that many people. When, often when we think of these old-time biblical stories, we think of you know, visiting small little villages and, and small little communities and things like that. 200,000 people were in Ephesus. It had an amphitheater that would seat 20,000 people, right? Cut out a rock on the side of a hill where they'd be able to have conversations like this and hear each other with nature being the PA system. They had a stadium. They had aqueducts where water would run through it so the city could get fresh water. They had uh, a basilica, which would be similar to this. Most churches are almost based off of the idea of a basilica where they'd have a stage at one end and columns down it and seating arrangements often with three aisles, just like what we have. Uh, This is church structures often built off of basilicas, which was a Roman structure. They had one of those. They had a big, huge market. Uh, it was the third biggest city next to Rome and Alexandria during the Roman Empire. And Ephesus, as a city, it had many temples in it. Most of them were, were to, obviously, to gods like Zeus and Apollos and Augustus and Artemis. And Artemis, uh, it dwarfed them all. And you may be like, who's Artemis? Well, it was, it was also maybe you've heard of the name uh, Diana as a god. That was the Roman name for it. Diana was thought to be the queen of heaven who offered protection from evil spirits, illness, and misfortune. And Ephesus was like the epicenter for Artemis, right? That's where Artemis had its biggest temple. And we may look at it and go like, this is all Greek mythology and false gods and stuff like that. But for them, this is life. This is how they live their lives. Much of, the, much of the market of Ephesus would have been built off that temple, creating coins and trinkets and things like that, that that signify their God that they believed in. And their life would have been revolving around these gods and specifically Artemis. The city had great wealth as there's, there's evidence of beautiful terraced gardens and, and houses all along the city center which means then that also there was also a large population of, of the poor that were there as servants to the rich. And so you can get this picture of this big city, thriving city full of, um, very similar to a city today, full of ideas and images of, of their gods uh, that they were living for. Our gods in Canada may look a little different, but they're still gods that we live for. And with its size, there was a Jewish population there because this isn't in Israel. This is up in Turkey. 
there was a Jewish population there, but the synagogue that they would have there was not significant in its impact into the culture. And as both Jews and Gentiles uh, began to believe in Jesus, as Paul and others came there and preached the good news of Jesus, uh, they began to be the church. And as you can imagine, they began to form this church with all the baggage that they would have brought. With everything that they came from, that's who they are coming into believing in Jesus and starting to walk out this life in Christ. All the things that would need to be dealt with, that letters that Paul would write to them and others would share, would speak to those issues. And it doesn't seem to be an acute problem in Ephesus. If you were to read through the whole book of Ephesians, there's nothing very specific that we see Paul going like, now because you did this, I need to say this. Uh, he seems to be just addressing his central theology, which we can read, and we're going to read it today in our, the scriptures we're going to look at, but that there's one God, one unified people, and one future that we all have in God. And he's saying it in a manner that speaks specifically to what they were dealing with in Ephesus, which is mainly, again, Artemis or Diana, depending on which language you would have been using in the day the magic and the occult that would go along with that and twisting evil, uh, the truth, taking the truth of the world and trying to twist it in, in evil ways. And if you're looking for references to where I'm getting some of this stuff, you can read Acts 19 and 20. And it's all about Paul's visit there and what he was going through when he first came to Ephesus and all, all the idol worship of Artemis and everything like that. So feel free to, to read that and understand um, how we know all this. But this helps us understand why Paul is writing about the ultimate power that God has over everything, the supremacy of Christ over everything as the head of the church in this age and in the age to come. It would encourage the church of, of Ephesus to hold fast to Jesus as the ultimate authority in their lives, not any of the other gods that, that would seeming, seemingly overwhelm the community to break free of those past connections and hold fast to their faith. Like we talked about this, this morning, how we're running out of those graves. We run out of the graves of the past, of, of the things that we clung to in the past, and we hold fast to Christ. And aren't you glad that as Cornwall, as a church in Cornwall, that our, our things aren't immortalized in the body uh, or in the Bible? that we can't turn to the book of Cornwall and see the writings that God has for us and, and all the things that he may want to communicate to us because of the way that we are trying and working on living out the gospel yet still needing to keep growing. That our names aren't immortalized in there going like, yeah, you remember that guy, Jeff, who was preaching and he was saying these things and you needed to correct him or whatever, that we don't have our names in there. But we do have the ability to learn from our past. We do have the ability to learn from where we're at right now and continue to grow in it. There's so many ways we can both learn from the Ephesians and our own stories. So what I want us to do is to read the passage in fuller context where that bearing one another in love is found, to hear from what God is saying to them and then uh, for us today. And we'll start in Ephesians 3.14 if you're following along. And we're using the um, ESV version. If you're following along digitally, you need to adjust for that. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And he had just finished talking about the gospel, 
about the supremacy of Christ, how Jesus is the one true God. It says, from this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. He goes on, though. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the richness of what your Holy Spirit speaks to us when we read it, when we allow you, God, to, to just poke us and lead us to grow, lead us to truth, lead us to revelation of who you are. And as we take this scripture, this passage that we've read this morning, and we, we look to, to just tease it out and, and apply it to our lives, I pray, God, that we'd be willing to hear what you have to say to us. And more than just willing to hear it, but be, we'd be willing to act on it so that we could follow you as your disciples. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. For this reason, because of the gospel of Jesus, the reality of our loving heavenly Father giving us the unsearchable riches of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Because of that, for this reason, he prays that we would know the fullness of his love, that Christ would dwell in us so richly that we have a profound appreciation and knowledge of his love, so much so that it pours out of us. We understand his love. We receive his love. We are transformed by his love. And because of that, the only result that can happen is the love of God pouring out of you. That's what he has for us. Now, we may have wanted to apply parts of what the scripture says there, the passage about God being able to do abundantly more than we can imagine, we often want to hear, we see it on Facebook or on your, you know, your little memes or whatever, that God can do abundantly more than you can imagine. So just imagine anything and God can do more for you. But when we see it in context here, we're pulled back to what God is truly meaning there. The one thing that we often feel that we're most lacking is our love for each other, the ability to love for each other. The ability to look at each other and overlook sin, 
overlook hardship. And it doesn't mean, to, I don't mean to overlook, I just want to clarify. When I say overlook sin, it doesn't mean allow sin. But to say the sin in your life isn't going to stop me from loving you. Your brokenness isn't going to stop me from being able to love you. Because if it does, then we all can't love each other. Because we all fall short of God's glory. God wants us, though, to be able to love abundantly. And he says, I can give you love more abundantly than you can dream or imagine. I have something for you. The richness of my love is so amazing, you can't imagine what it is. You can't imagine how great it is. That's what he has for us. God can do far more than we think to heal our hearts when we've been loved poorly. He could do far more than we can imagine to fill our hearts with a holy love and far more to overflow his love through us to others. So much so that Paul calls himself a prisoner of it. He's captive to God. Why? Because he'd been so changed by the love of God for him that has absolutely changed his life so much that he uses the language of prisoner and captive to God. With all this in mind, with the past that the Ephesians had of, of Artemis and all the other gods and everything that would go on in the city, of their elite status that they think they held in the, in the, the empire of Rome, and with the truth of Jesus being applied in their lives, Paul urges the church in Ephesus to live in a way that reflects what they have been called to. To run out of that grave and into the arms of Christ. And when Paul says, with all humility and gentleness, in their culture at that time, this would have been the opposite of what you would be called to. This is the opposite of what the high, the peak of culture would ask of you. If you were going to be good in the Ephesian culture at that time, it meant that you, did, you were not humble, but you were proud. It means you were not gentle because that was something that was only for the lowly. To be high in society meant you were the opposite of being humble and gentle. And yet Paul calls them to live that way. The way of Jesus confronts the pride in every one of us, doesn't it? it? It calls us out when we try to act like we have it all together. When we feel like we're better than the problems that others have. Or we try to hide our vulnerabilities instead of allowing Christ to champion them. And as followers of Jesus, we are to be aware of this transforming process that's happening that we're all going through. We're all going, growing in our understanding of the love of God and his power to transform. In light of that, we should be in patience. We should bear with one another in love. To hold the love that we receive to allow it to be poured out of us. And this commitment is, from all, is for all of us as we all reflect this love. And this, uh, this is the evidence, the way we show our love, it's the evidence of our growing knowledge and understanding of God. We understand the heart of God. It's perfect in unity. 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, perfect in how they understand, know, and love each other. And God longs for us to know him like that and to live in unity with him and to live in unity with each other. The word eager. Eager to maintain unity. My two youngest boys, they reflected this type of eagerness for me earlier this week. Uh, we we uh, drove them up to their grandparents' place in Peterborough this weekend on, on uh on Friday, but they had packed two days before. They were ready to go. Two days before we were leaving, their suitcases were packed and ready to go. They were eager to maintain the unity with their grandparents, eager to spend that time with their grandparents, a whole week alone with the grandparents, just have their grandparents pour love on them and have a beautiful time with them. How much so should we as the body of Christ, be eager to seek unity amongst ourselves in the bonds of peace? How much more should we be eager in looking for and anticipating ways in which we can keep that unity? Which is where we circle back to bearing with one another in love. Because to maintain that unity and peace, we need to be able to bear some things, don't we? The words that we find in the original text for bearing, they speak of an idea of being slow to anger, that your, your temper is far away. Speaks of almost the idea of like breathing. You know when you get angry and your breathing gets really fast and heated and, and usually when you're really, really angry, your breathing is mostly through your nose because you're like... That's the idea. That's the language because the language it uses in the original text is very figurative. Talking about the, the, the breathing in and out of the nose being far away, that it's, it's not happening in you. As a kid, I had a very hot temper. I'd get mad so fast. I'd get mad at the silliest things and just lose it and throw my little temper tantrums. And we can do that, can't we, in life? Unless we learn the patience and peace of Christ in our lives where we don't allow those things to affect us the way they used to. When we do, it makes room and gives gives space for people who are allowing God to rework their lives. When we allow God to work on us, to give others room for him to work on them. Our understanding of God's ways, our submission to his will, our embracing of his love is something that we all grow in. It's called, in theological terms, we'd call that sanctification. We are all so far from being holy, pure, perfect in our actions when we first meet Christ. We know nothing like him, but immediately he justifies us. He calls us holy. He calls us pure. He calls us perfect by his covering of our sin. But then he calls us to walk closer to him. He calls us to reflect his image more and more each day. And it's a process. That's why we say that God loves us right where we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. And while Jesus moves us closer and closer to himself, we bear with each other 
in how that works itself out. We're called to see ourselves as the body of Christ in order to keep us from that self-harm. Our unity is in Christ by his spirit. The same spirit that gives you the strength to put up with me is the same spirit that gives me the strength to put up with you. Does that make sense? We have to live this way to grow in God. And this is why it takes all humility and all gentleness. Because outside of those traits, we'd be at each other like cats and dogs. And if that's where you find yourself in some of your relationships with others, with other followers of Jesus, allow God to work out the fruit of the Spirit in you. And it's work submitting to God, but it's also worth submitting to God. We draw on the same humility as God who humbled himself in order to bear our sorrows, our sins, our rebellion, our immaturity. So what does it mean to bear one another in love? 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith as so to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Because love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know, we know we in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When we're with Jesus, there'll be no need of prophecy. There'll be no need of tongues. There'll be no need of words of knowledge or anything like that because we are with God. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Some questions come to my mind when I read that. Where are you unpatient or unkind? Who do you find it hard to be patient and kind with? Who do you envy? Or who do you brag to or talk down about? Is there followers of Jesus that you're rude to? Do you often have to get your own way or insist that you're right? Do you resent people telling you how to do something? Maybe do something a little bit differently or better? Do you respond 
irritably to others? Do you think people deserve what's coming to them? A funny clip that I use around the house, courtesy of Bob Newhart. Some of you guys are way too young to know who I'm talking about. But he did a comedy skit on Mad TV based off of his character. And he has the best advice for us. Two words. You can write it down if you need to. Most people don't need to. Stop it. Stop it. If you have those issues, just stop it. That's not what the love of Jesus looks like at all. And if you're on the receiving types of those behaviors, bear it. Bear it as others grow in Christ and have people in their lives that are counseling them and correcting them and leading them closer to what Jesus looks like. Because love bears it all. Love believes the best. It hopes and endures all things. And here's the kicker is that we are pretty much always in both camps, aren't we? We are both always in need of grace, right? And giving grace. There's somebody that's always looking at us and going like, why did you treat me like that? Well, somebody else, we're looking at them going, like, why are you treating me like that? It's happening all around us, which means we love and bear all with each other. Now, to be, to be clear, I, I want you to be cl- you understand what I'm saying. When we treat each other poorly, we need to be account- held accountable, right? We're not in the business of enab- enabling unrighteousness at all. We are called to be a holy church set apart for Christ, a pure and spotless bride for our groom, Jesus. That's what we're called to. So I'm not trying to lower the bar in your behavior at all. We're trying to raise the bar in our behavior. Be clear on that. We're not going to enable each other to to treat each other poorly and just have to bear with it. But we're also not going to be at each other's throats. We're also going to trust that maybe if I have an issue with somebody, I'm going to let somebody else do some correction. Because me in their face right now is just going to create more chaos. So I allow space for that. And I'm going to bear all things. I'm going to trust God. Love must lead. If not, if you can't work things out with love leading, then seek help. Come and talk to somebody. Come talk to somebody you know that can help walk you through that, counsel you through that in order to resolve differences with love leading. So let's get personal. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned But whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And it's for this reason that we pray to our Father that according to the riches of his glory that he may grant us to be strengthened with his power through his spirit in our inner beings so that Christ may dwell in our hearts 
through faith that we would be rooted and grounded in his love, that we would have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know that the love of Christ surpasses all knowledge and that we may be filled with the fullness of God. I urge you to pursue unity, to bear with my shortcomings and one another's shortcomings where we fall short of the holiness of God. I urge you in humility and gentleness to walk with one another towards unity by being bonded together in love. I urge you to go to one another and seek peace, forgiveness, and reconciliation. Who among us is it hard to bear with? Seek the love of Christ needed to go above and beyond. Who among us has offended you that you you need gentleness in your response? Who among us needs your humble service? The Holy Spirit comforts, convicts, confirms, and he calls. Calls us to the life that God has for us. And Holy Spirit empowers us in every obedient faith step that we take. And today I'm sure that Holy Spirit has done those things for you today, has spoken to you about steps that you need to take in faith. There are names that have come to mind, pain that needs to be healed, anger that needs to be soothed, sin that was called out that needs to be repented of, steps that have been confirmed through the Spirit empowered. I urge you, act on it. Follow through with what the Holy Spirit is leading you today. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Let us pursue unity. Let us pursue bearing with one another. Let us pursue peace. Let us pray. God, we just thank you. We thank you for Paul being able to write this letter through your inspiration to lead and guide the church in Ephesus and how to walk out their faith, how to navigate leaving behind the things of the past, the things that trapped them in their past, and how to step forward in you. God, you gave them practical wisdom for how to walk this out, what it looks like to bear with one another, love one another. And so God, I just pray that you would do the same for us today. Lead us and guide us in humility and gentleness, humble, humbling ourselves before each other and you so that your surpassing love may be in us and flow through us to each other. That the world may know that we are yours because of our love for one another. May it start in here with us in order to transform a world around us.
may we have a knowledge of the depth and the breadth and the height and the width of your love, God. Today, God, give us practical steps, practical things that you're asking and calling us to do in order to walk this out, in order to show ourselves approved before you, God. We pray this in your name. Amen.